All right, so if you're turning with me in your Bibles today, we're going to be in Romans 12. I'm going to start in Romans 12. We're going to just read one verse there, and then we're going to jump around to several different places. As I've been studying this week, um, just really studying and praying and trying to figure out what God wanted me to talk about this week, I, I landed on this subject, but then I got so much to say about it, so... Um, I'm going to kind of lay some groundwork, and I'm going to use a few scriptures that may seem pretty familiar to you, but um, I think it's necessary, and then we may be back on this next week um, because it's it's so powerful that what we're going to talk about today can change your entire life. Not only can it will change your whole life for the good or the bad. So today I want to just spend a few minutes and talk to you about something. It's kind of scary. It's arguably the most powerful thing on the planet. It's smarter than computers. It can make you sick or well. In it is life and death, destruction and creation, racism and unity, fear and hope, freedom and bondage. It's your mind. All of those things are found in your brain. They're found in your mind. And the brain is one of the most powerful things, if not the most powerful thing, besides God, really. I mean, everything you see is created out of minds and machines and the buildings we build and the lives we live and the cars we're going to leave here and go drive. It was all the creativity that was placed in our minds, created in the image of God. As you know, I'm sure you've probably heard stories about, I was reading up when I was just reading all kind of scriptures about the mind and how powerful our mind is and how amazing our mind is and, and some secular things that aren't coming from a Christian standpoint, just talking about the mind and how blown away even psychologists and scientists and neuroscientists are about the brain and just how incredible our brains are and how they can heal us and stuff um oh and there were lots of stories about forgot where i was going with that um <laughs> there are lots of different stories about monks and so i'm sure you've heard some different stories about tibetan monks and all these different kinds of monks that they get so good at controlling their mind that they can even change the temperature of their body. Like Harvard did research on this one monk, and that while he would meditate, they could put him in a cold room and kick up the AC and get it colder and colder and colder. And they tested his body, and he could actually, just using his mind, he could raise the temperature of his body 17 degrees. As it got colder in the room, he could just raise the temperature and... And that's like documented. 17 degrees, he could just, through the power of his mind and meditation, and according to him, it's cutting out all those distractions. That we're all pretty powerful, but we all have a lot of distractions that we allow to come in and distract us from who or from everything that God created us to be. Um, you've, I'm sure you've heard the quote from Yogi Berra, he said that baseball is 90% mental and 10% physical. And there have been some, some arguments for that. I heard one pretty good argument that it's actually 100% mental because it is your mind and your brain that makes you learn how to throw, catch, pit, do everything. But, I mean, I think you still have to have some kind of, some kind of talent. But it's a lot Mental, a lot of it's in your brain, in your mind, whether you're talking about playing a sport or meditating or creating something or whatever it is that you're talking about, a lot of it's in your mind. There are all these studies that they've done that prove that your body stops at 80%. So there's something in your brain that stops you at 80%. 
whether you're running or lifting or say if you want to max out on the bench press there's something in your brain that'll stop you at 80 percent when actually you could lift more than that physically you're strong enough to where it is possible for you to lift more than that but your brain stops you at 80 percent same thing on a run you know, when you're running and your body starts realizing, oh, we can't do this much longer. So in self-preservation, your body knows, well, we can only do this a little more. So at 80%, it starts giving you side cramps. It starts telling you, stop, we need to slow down, we need to stop running. Or the same if you're pressing on that bench press, it tells you, nope, we're done. That's our max. We can't push anymore when in reality, you can. But that's your brain trying to protect you. So you know how like they say, like if a baby's getting crushed by a car and the mom runs over and lifts the car and it's this crazy story of how the mom had superhuman strength. That's because in that moment, the need to protect her child bypasses that little stop sign that your brain's throwing up at 80%. And with her adrenaline and everything, she runs over and lifts up the car, does something crazy. So they say that professional athletes are almost all people that have learned how to push past the stop sign, how to push past that 80% when their body says to stop, how to give more. That's how they are professional athletes. And then the rest of us play church softball every once a month. Right? Because at 80%, we stop before we tear an ACL most of us like is they learn through training and in the weight room how to push yourself a little bit past a little bit past and they train their mind not to give up not to stop Romans 12 2 I know this is a super familiar verse to you it says and be not conformed to this world don't fit in. Don't look like everything around you. But be ye transformed. And like, I think we could all say there's an area of our life, of our character, of something about us that we would like to see transformed. I, I think we all have something we want to see transformed. Something we'd like to see transformed in the world, in the government, in our lives, in our relationships, in our, in our church. Whatever, we can all think of different areas we'd like to see transformed. But here's how you see a transformation. But be ye transformed by the renewing. That word is renewing, resetting, restarting. By the renewing of your mind. that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So, what we learn from this one verse is if we want to see a transformation, we want to see real change, we want to see something different, we want to see growth, what it's going to take is a renewing or a resetting, a changing of your mind. And it's a continual thing. The renewing or the resetting Right, if you go look up, it's a Greek word, and it means renewing, resetting, restarting, all those things. But it's a continual thing. It's not a one-time thing. Right, so if you, you believe, like you got saved, you believe Jesus, you, you accept what Jesus did for you on the cross, and you're saved, and that's done, and that's paid for. But that's not this. This is talking about a continual thing. Why? Because it's growth. I don't know everything right now. Thank God. I don't even think I do. And next year, I hope that I've renewed and reset my mind and changed the way I think and gotten new revelations and new growth and, and become a better pastor and father and husband and leader. And that's the resetting, the continual growth, the changing. And then that's how you see a transformation. When you look at somebody's life and say, man, they're nothing like they used to be, that didn't happen on accident. Now, some people, you can look at their life and say, man, they're nothing like they used to be, and that's a bad thing. Like, they're way worse now than they used to be. 
But some people, you can look at them and say, man, they're nothing like they used to be, and that's a really good thing. Like they've really grown and matured. They're not crazy like they used to be or you know, lost in an addiction like they used to be. And none of that's an accident. Right? It takes a continual resetting of your mind to see the transformation. And we set up these patterns by the resetting of your mind. He said, don't just fit into the things around you or what you're told is normal. Don't just fit into the mold. Okay, well, the world says if I make enough money, I'm a success, so I'm gonna, that's what I need to. No, don't, don't fit into that mold. Be what God's called you to be and created you to be. How? By changing your mind. By changing the way you think. By thinking different from everybody else. You, you have that picture, Ben? Throw up there for a second. I saw this just thinking about the power of the mind and stuff. And a friend of mine threw this up on Facebook. And I read the story that goes with the picture, and it's incredible. Okay, there's the picture. All right, so I just wanted y'all to get the visual of, of this guy. You could leave that up there for a second. I'm going to read y'all. Um, a Tibetan monk has been discovered in a mountain cave in Nepal, deep in the earth. He is considered the oldest person in the world at 165 years old. He was found in a state of deep meditation called... I'm not really sure how to pronounce that, sorry. When he was first discovered, they thought that he was a mummy that they had found. However, the archaeologist examining what they thought was a mummy discovered that he had vital signs and that he was alive. And among his things, they found an old scroll that read... Stop believing all the crap you read on Facebook. That's not true. Don't just believe everything that you're told. It was pretty believable, especially with the picture there. I was thinking, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Wow. 165 years old. Don't just believe everything that you're told well why because a lot of things that you're told may be a lie a lot of the labels that have been put on you could be a lie right when you're a kid maybe somebody put some labels on you or told you some maybe that you're worthless or put some things on you that aren't true and if you carry that and you never renew or reset your mind then you carry that with you through your life and it affects everything. And if you start to believe a lie, maybe a preacher told you a lie about God and the way he sees you or the way he feels about you and so you don't feel like a loved son or daughter. You feel like somebody that's just scared and nervous all the time that you're about to get bopped in the head with a big old stick from a mean God that's waiting to judge you and you don't realize that God poured out his wrath on Jesus at the cross. So if you live your life believing that lie just because that's what somebody told you, then it's going to affect everything. If you don't change your mind and change the way you think about it. See, if you believe a lie, then it'll come out of your mouth eventually. And it'll begin to shape your life. And you'll build your future on a false foundation. Eventually, it's going to crash down. We're all building lives and we build families and, and we're all building these lives. But I don't want to build my life on some foundation that's going to just crash down when a storm hits. When something bad happens or when I lose somebody important or when times get hard. If my life crashes, then what's the point? I've wasted all this time. Look at Romans 10.8. But what saith it? The word, the word that was translated word is logos. It means the living word, the breathing, the word, the written scriptures. Is nigh thee, even in thy mouth 
and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth. Wait, what does that mean? You got to let it out. You got to speak it. So he's saying it's in your heart. You've believed the word of faith that we preach, this word. But if you'll confess it with your mouth, if you'll let it out. The Lord Jesus and shalt believe in the heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So, if you believe in your heart, it comes out your mouth. Remember, Jesus said in Luke 6, 45, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever you're full of, is going to come out. Eventually, whatever it is that's in your heart, in, and that, that word heart that Jesus used there, it's the core of man, the center, the brain, the heart, the, your feelings, your emotions, your thoughts. So out of the abundance of your core, out of the abundance of your brain and your feelings and all that stuff, the mouth speaks. So it's going to start coming out in your words, whatever you're full of. You know, it's not just what you do with your brain. It's what you put in it, too. I mean, it's real easy to sit and listen to a message like this and, and read these Bible verses and think, yeah, well, I need to do this with my brain, and I need to choose to believe the truth with my brain about what God says about me, and, and I need to choose to have faith and create a future, and I need to... Okay, cool, that's all the things, but... That's just like me choosing to work out or me choosing to do cardio to lose weight. But every time I get done doing cardio, if I go to a buffet and then top it off at an ice cream bar and drink a case of beers, is that physically going to work? Probably not. Why? I'm doing everything. I, I'm doing it. Yeah, but then I'm taking in so much stuff that it's, it's messing up what I'm trying to do. So don't just be trying to use your brain for the right things. right? And train your brain to have faith and believe what God says and believe in Jesus. You need to be conscious of what you're putting in. Because out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth's going to speak and those words are going to come out. You ever heard of the placebo effect? You probably have. According to WebMD and Harvard Health and Very Well Mind and Wikipedia and several other sources, and they all agree and there are all kinds of studies done on it. But when you take a medicine, a prescription medicine for a disease or for anything, and it heals you, they say that you didn't get healed. The placebo effect is this. You didn't get healed by the pill. You got healed by the belief in the pill. And they proved it to be true by giving people just sugar pills that were nothing but sugar and they just dissolve and they would have doctors give them to patients and then they would have doctors give actually real medication to patients and people would be healed by taking sugar pills that did nothing for what was actually wrong with them. People that had a headache, they'd say, here's some Tylenol and give them a sugar pill and then ask them in 15 minutes and yep, the headache's gone, it worked. Man, that was a good, that was a good headache medicine you gave me. So there's all kinds of, of studies done on it, and I'm sure you've heard of the placebo effect. They say that at least one-third of all medical intervention is healing due to the placebo effect. Think about that. One-third of all medical healing, everything, from the most severe to a, to a headache, one-third of it is due to the placebo effect it causes you to think positive thoughts, and then you start to speak them. Oh, man, I am feeling better. I'm starting to feel a lot better. Yeah, I think that's working. 
that antibiotic's really helping me get over this. I think that infection's almost gone. It's working. My doctor's a genius. Well, my mom was really smart. That Pepto-Bismol is really helping my earache. Like whatever it is, that's the placebo effect. But the crazy thing is, it can actually heal you if you believe it. If you believe that it is. It was healing as a result of positive thinking. That's how the, the medical world describes it. So what about negative thinking? Like, if that's true, if the placebo effect is true, then what about the opposite of that? What about the, the negative side of that? Well, there's recently been some research done on that, and they say it's equally as powerful in regard to affecting your biology. A negative thought is called the nocebo effect, and it can cause any diseases that we know of. And you can even die from the nocebo effect. If you think on it long enough and you begin to speak it with your mouth and out of the abundance of the heart, I'm dying, it's over, ah, la, la, and this negativity and negativity, it's been scientifically and medically proven that you can kill yourself. You can convince yourself of it, then you can believe it, and then you actually do get this sickness. Like, your brain's that powerful. You talk yourself into it. You begin to speak it. You can die from a belief. Psychologists say that 70% or more of your thoughts are negative and they're redundant. You think the same thoughts over and over. That's why it's so important for us to retrain our brains and to, to rewire ourselves with gratitude and worship. That's why we're commanded so many times throughout Scripture to worship and praise because what is worship and praise is it's resetting your brain. It's rewiring your brain to be thankful and grateful. It's reminding you who God is and how powerful God is and who you are in Christ. And, and that's why worship and praise is such a powerful weapon because it helps us to reset and retrain our brain, to rewire it, to reset it. And then what you think about, your thoughts are redundant, so you think about it over and over and over, and you create these pathways, neuropathways in your brain and ultimately, you will see a transformation in your life and in your world. So doctors and psychologists agree that thoughts, either positive or negative, shape our biology. And the words that we speak are the fruit of the tree. The Bible tells us that words are fruit. Out of the abundance of the heart of the mind, mouth speaks and then you're eating that fruit Luke 6 Luke 6 43 Jesus said this for a good tree bringeth forth oh sorry I read that wrong for a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit for every tree is known by his own fruit for of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of bramble bush gather they grapes. I'm not sure what a bramble bush is, but it sounds cool. But you can't get grapes off of it. The tree is the heart, and the fruit is the mouth, the words that you're letting fly out of your mouth. They say on average that we speak around 16,000 words a day. Now, I know that total is probably a lot lower for some of you in the room, like, say, at Benny. But I also personally know that it's a lot higher than that for some of y'all, so y'all make up for that, and we get the average of about 16,000 words a day that we speak. I think that that makes it easy to underestimate the significance of a word. There's just so many of them, and we just carelessly say things, and we just... 
we, we have a feeling in our heart or in our mind and we just say it and we're angry about something and we just say it and we're feeling and, and we don't check our words. We don't put our words through any type of filter. We just let them fly out without thinking about maybe there's a kid standing there watching me and I shouldn't have said that. Or maybe, yeah, I thought maybe that was a funny joke, but it was inappropriate and I shouldn't have said it to try to make everybody laugh. Or maybe, and we become careless with our words and we're just letting them fly out our mouth. But we should put a filter on that. Not just say anything. Not just speak on our feelings, but we should check our thoughts before we just say whatever it is we're thinking about. You know, 16,000 um, words, it's like writing, just to put it in perspective of how many words you say every day. It's like writing a 60-page book with your words every single day. I mean, that's not a huge book, but 60 pages every day on average. So, so think about it that way. Every single day, you're writing a 60-page book. The Bible warns us about being careless with our words. But it's kind of hard. It's kind of like picking up a handful of sand. There's so many words. We're supposed to run it through a filter. You know, a sermon for one of the messages that I stand up and preach. And spare me the jokes about how mine's probably higher than average because they're so long and I talk so much. I'm sure I'll hear them from my wife. The average sermon has about 5,000 words in it. Uh, so, so you guys sit here, say you sit here for almost an hour. You, I've stood up here and I've said 5,000 words. But think about this. Say today I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to say 5,000 words. What if I slipped up and said a pretty bad cuss word? What's going to stick out in your mind? Or like last week, that video I played of that fight scene... A few people in the room thought that that video dropped the F-bomb, right? And that became a big thing afterwards, and I had to go. We replayed the video multiple times so I could prove I did not play a video in church that had a cuss word on it, especially that. It, it didn't. We played it back a bunch of times, and I, I proved that it did not say that. It just kind of sounded like that with the accent that the guy had. But I could stand up here and say 5,000 words, and if I dropped the F-bomb... a lot of those other words that I stood up here and said are not going to matter you're not going to remember them all you're going to think about is why did that preacher stand up there and say that you know how bad that was I can't believe he he said that I can't believe he did that we're not going back we're offended we oh my kid could have heard that with like and you'll forget I might have said every other word I said in the service could have been great but I chose this one word I chose one word that I shouldn't have said. I chose one. I, I just. And what does it do? It, it devalues all the other words that I said around it. One word. You've seen those things with like a bowl of fruit and they take like one rotten piece of fruit and put it in the middle and it like rots all the fruit that's touching it, all the fruit around it. It taints the whole thing. Your words matter. Your words reveal who you are. Really, your words reveal what you're full of. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Why call you me Lord, Lord? Remember, this is Jesus talking. And do not the things which I say. Jesus said, don't call me Lord, Lord, and say that I'm your Lord and you serve me. Don't call yourself a Christian and then you don't do the things that I say. You don't read the Word. You don't, when you hear my words, you see my teachings and you don't do them. What's Jesus saying? 
Don't call me Lord and then act like my words don't matter. Like it, like it's just talk. Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he's like. He's like a man which built the house and he digged deep and he laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat violently upon the house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not, Remember what Jesus is talking about here. If we hear his words and then we don't do it, we don't reset our mind. We don't change the way we think. We just go on living our lives just like everyone around us. It's like a man without a foundation that built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat violently and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. The Message Bible says it like this. If you work the words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who dug deep and laid the foundations of his house on bedrock. And when the river burst its banks and crushed against the house, nothing could shake it. It was built to last. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and you don't work them into your life, you're like a dumb carpenter who built a house but it skipped the foundation. And when the swollen river came crashing in, it collapsed like a house of cards. It was a total loss. Jesus is saying, don't just hear my words. But you need to be a doer. Take it and do something with it. Work it into your life. Like don't don't just come into church and say, oh, I feel better. And then go back out into your normal way of life and never grow and never change and never reset your mind and never question a thought. Never run your words through a filter. Jesus said, then that's like a dummy. That's building a house without a foundation. And when something hard happens and when a storm hits and when something unexpected happens or you're just going to fall apart. You're going to have no foundation. So what do we do? We reject and replace. See, when you have a negative or a bad thought come in your mind, a bad, I mean, you know, when it's not good, when it's the thought of sin or any negative thought. But then the key is we've got to replace it with something good. See, thoughts, you can't just reject a thought. In fact, if you start trying to reject a thought, then your brain starts thinking about it even more. If I tell you, hey, whatever you do, don't think about an elephant right now. All y'all are thinking about an elephant. Please don't think about any elephants. Don't think about pink elephants. Don't think about spotted elephants. Please don't think about an elephant stuffed animal if you've ever had one. Please don't think about baby elephants. Now, you're all thinking about elephants, even though I'm asking you not to. That's how our brain works. So, see, you can't just reject a thought because that's not going to work. I was about to give an example, but... I don't want to look like I'm picking on anybody and we've probably every example I'm thinking of is represented in the room somewhere because we all deal with different things and we all have different things that are a problem for us and may not be for somebody else. But if I'm trying not to do something that I know is bad for me and I just keep thinking about it over and over, I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't go there, I can't buy that, I can't buy that, I can't see that, I can't see that, then eventually I'm going to do it. And what you have to do is you reject that thought of temptation, but then you got to replace it with something else. You have to put something good in there. So you don't just reject the lie. You have to replace the lie with the truth. That's the only way it works. 
So if I realize by self-examination, and I heard this great message from Pastor Dusty, and it made me think, hey, I'm believing a lie about myself. I don't believe I'm worthy. Well, then you can't just go around saying, that was a lie, that was a lie. You know, they put that label on me, and now I don't believe that anymore. You have to replace it with truth for it to ever work, for it to ever transform you and to change and reset your mind. You don't just reject the bad one, you replace it with a good one. You don't just reject the lie, you replace the lie with the truth of God's Word and what God says. And if you don't know the truth of God's Word, that's okay. That's part of it. You search it out. You find it. That's part of the journey. You get in relationship with other people that can tell you, Hey, I'm confused. You know, I've always believed this, but I feel like it's a lie, and I don't really know the truth. You know? Know any scriptures about that? That's the, the beauty of being in relationship and in church and in community with each other and and if you're struggling with it and praying about it, then more times than not, you come into church, I'm going to preach something that's going to hit on it. Because we're all dealing with, we're all humans. We all deal with things. We all have problems. We all have loss and sin and pain and brokenness. And, and God deals with all of us. So you reject and replace can't just reject a bad thought. Remember, you got to replace it. 2 Corinthians 10.5. We're almost done. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, Casting down imaginations. You know what imaginations are? It's things you made up. It's things that aren't true. You're imagining it. It says, casting down, Paul wrote this, imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself, itself against the knowledge of God or against the truth of what God says, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ running every single thought, bringing it into captivity. It's running it through a filter and saying, hey, does that thought line up with what God says? Does this thought line up or is it a thought I need to reject? Does this line up with God's love and mercy and grace? Does this line up with who God says I am or does this thought Remember, because if it's a thought and you allow it to keep going, it's going to become a word and then it's going to be fruit that you're eating and then it's going to transform your life in a negative way. But if we can learn to capture, take into captivity every single thought, we can kill it before it becomes a word, before it manifests as fruit, before we eat that fruit, before it transforms our life. Because we let it reset our mind. We take into captivity every thought. Anything that goes against what God says. That's impossible. How? Thought. Thought. I just had another thought. I just thought about what am I going to have for lunch. I, I just thought about that. I just thought of. I just thought to myself, why does that keep getting up and going out? Right? Like I thought, thought, thought. How do we do that? I can't chase down every thought and run it through a filter. We set a trap. Don't chase thoughts around. We got to take control of our minds. What it is that we go over and over and over, what it is that we meditate on, we're training our mind what to look for. Um, I know I'm not going to spend much time on this, but I think it's super important for this subject because we've talked about it before. But the SSP, it's your selective sensory perception. And it's the part of your brain that filters out unimportant information and it filters in important information. It's like how we stay alive. Uh, it's when you're walking through a busy city, 
your SSP is going off in your mind and it's saying like, you know, little girl walking by, not a threat, unimportant. You don't even notice her. Your brain automatically is doing that. But then when it notices something important or something that could be dangerous, um, taxi just jumped the curb, about to run us over. It sets off alarms. Ah, freak out. It's to protect you. It's the SSP. It's this part of your brain that goes off. It's how we focus. You ever been hit by something that you didn't see coming? Jesse has. Well, we probably all have. One time we were sitting at a uh, one of Sky's baseball games, and some they hit a foul ball, and it came over the backstop somehow, and everybody said, "Heads up!" You know, and no, and the ball hit the concrete block concession stand that was right behind us, and so as soon as Jesse turned her head like that, it went and hit her right in the eye, and I'm talking about split her eye like it was bad. Like they couldn't even, they couldn't stop the bleeding. They went over to the dollar store and bought super glue. And a couple of the moms tried to do a home or, yeah, she got to watch the rest of the game, but it was bad. But she never, she never saw it coming. That's the ones that, that hurt. Why? Because if you saw it coming, you would have moved. If you saw it coming, you could have just. That thing would have flew right past her with about a two-inch movement. If you saw it coming, you could have moved. But here's the interesting part. They say you can train your SSP. Working on your hand-eye coordination like, like when a boxer is training, you can train yourself that when a punch is coming, it is important for me to dodge it. The more you train yourself that, then your brain says, Hey, when his shoulder goes back, he's about to throw a punch, and it's going to hurt really bad if he hits me in the nose. And then you see it coming. You train yourself. You train your SSP to get out of the way. You train it that that's important. We need to know that. And you train it what's not important. So why don't I go through all that? Here's the problem. If you're a really cynical person, then what you've done is you've trained your brain to filter out every possibility for hope. And then when I stand up here on a Sunday morning and I preach a message about hope, you think, well, that's just too good to be true. Oh, there's no hope for me. There's no hope in my future. And, and it's because you've trained your SSP that was put in your brain. Right? It's an incredible part of your brain that's there to keep you safe but you've trained it to filter out all possibilities for hope. If, if you're a negative person, then you've trained your brain to filter, filter out all the positive things around you. So in every situation you walk into, you automatically pick out everything that's wrong. And maybe that's not you, but I guarantee you, you know somebody like that. It's like, why do you pick out everything that was wrong with that situation? But then it starts coming through in your relationships and it comes through in your church and it comes through on your job and every job you go to is... And everywhere you go, you automatically pick out the problems. And if you don't believe you're lovable, then you train your brain to remove any information that says you're loved. The truth. God that says that you are loved, that you are a son, that you are a daughter, and you've trained your brain to filter that out so that you don't even believe it. And there must be a renewing or a resetting of your mind or you will never see the transformation and you will never transform into looking like your father God. You will be a product of whatever labels have been put on you your whole life. You will be a product of your addiction. You'll be a product of the world that you're placed in and you'll never look like you're supposed to look. You'll never see that transformation. That same verse that we just read, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, 
in the Passion Translation, it words it really cool. Listen to how it words this verse. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. How? We capture like prisoners of war every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. No. I'm not going to believe you. We capture the thought like a prisoner of war. We say, hey, you've been there long enough telling me that I'm not loved, that I'm not lovable, that I'm broken, that there's no restoration, that there's no hope, that there's no forgiveness, that there's no healing. And you thought are not going to control me anymore because you don't measure up. And we make it bow in obedience to the anointed one. Proverbs 4, Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart. Your heart, your core, your emotions, your mind. For it is the wellspring of life. Say, guard it because this is everything. It's the wellspring of life. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Why? Because if you're not guarding your heart, then stuff's going to be coming out your mouth. The brain is the most powerful part of you. It can cause you to give up or push beyond what you think is humanly possible. Your brain can make you sick or well. So guard it. Solomon wrote this. He's the wisest man that ever lived, the Bible tells us. And Solomon wrote this proverb and he's saying, guard your heart. Guard your core. Guard your feelings and your emotions and your brain. Guard it. This is really important. You know, to guard something, I need to own it. It'd be, you know, if I stand on guard of my house, that's great. If some robbers are busting in there and I'll guard my house because it's mine and my family lives there and I protect it and guard it. But it's going to be kind of awkward if I, you know, we get done with service and I go drive over to Dan and Teresa's house and start changing out their locks and putting up a big fence around their house. And Dan comes out and says, excuse me, what are you doing out here? And I'm like, I'm guarding your house. Well, like, why are you guarding my house? This is my house. I'll guard my own house. We need to own it. Why am I saying that? Make you remember this point. You need to own your heart. You need to own your feelings, your fears, and your thoughts. Not blame it on somebody else. And not blame it on the abuse that you went through as a kid. And not blame... and. I'm not taking away from any kind of pain or anything that you've been through. and no, there, But I believe there's healing for anything that any of us have been through. But at some point, we got to take responsibility and say, you know what, now I'm writing my story. Now I choose to change the way I think about that. No, I'm going to choose not to believe that lie anymore. And I'm going to replace it with truth. So we own our feelings, we own our fears, we own our thoughts. We take ownership of our choices. And then you can guard it. Philippians 4, 6. Be careful for nothing. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving or with gratitude, let your requests be made known unto God. What's that saying? Unload it all. Be careful for nothing. First, first Peter says, cast all your cares on Him because He cares for you. Cast it. Throw it away. Let it go. Stop holding on to all that stuff. But you need to realize that you can't hide what you cast. You got to throw it out there. You got to process it. You got to talk to some people, trusted people. You don't just go talk to everybody about what it is that you're trying to, you're dealing with. 
But you got to have somebody you can talk to. You gotta have a counselor. You gotta have some close relationships. You gotta have some people that you can you can process things with. I think it help you walk through your trauma and find healing so that it's not this hang up in your mind from now on. That you can reset your mind and walk through it. And be the men and women that God's called us to be. And don't worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And what happens? And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep or guard. That word, it was translated keep. It, it also means guard. Your hearts and minds. Wait, it guards my heart and my mind? Yeah. Through Christ Jesus. You can go on and read the next few verses. It tells you what to think on. Think on things that are true and lovely and beautiful and praiseworthy. It's training your brain to, to think on the good things. But I love that part that says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, or which doesn't even make sense, it'll guard your heart and it'll guard your mind. Through Christ Jesus, the peace that passes all understanding. Think about it like if you're driving a car down the road. There's all these different cars driving. Problems and hate and sin and all kind of stuff. And the peace car comes along and passes all of them passes everything that you can understand and what does it do it guards your heart it guards your mind and Peter tells us to cast or unload all of our cares on him it doesn't make sense but if we do that if we lay it all down at his feet if we'll cast it if we'll let it go if we'll we'll take our thoughts captive Then the peace of God stands on guard of your heart and your mind. And it'll keep you from slipping. Last thing and we're done. I wasn't, I wasn't sure if I was going to go here, but... You know, when you let it all go, I just want to read you Matthew eleven twenty eight real quick. The words of Jesus, and that'll be it. Um, but when we let it all go, and and we allow the peace of God to come in and guard our hearts and to reset our minds, we can take a real rest. This is what Jesus said: Are you tired? Are you worn out? You burn out on religion, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. And learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. You know, rest is something you learn. Jesus said, come to me and I'll teach you how to take a real rest. Come to me and I'll, I'll teach you how to, how to work, how to do it my way. Take my yoke on you. Uh, I think King James' words is a little different, but rest is something you learn. I'll rest when I'm dead. You ever heard anybody say that? Well, then you're going to be dead a lot sooner than you would be if you'd learned to take a rest. God set up the Sabbath. He said, take a rest every now and then. It's good for you, and it's good for your mind. Take a breath. Take a rest. If Jesus took breaks, and he did, he would get away, go to the mountain, 
go to his father. He would get with just the disciples. Then he would take just the three, Peter, James, and John, and even get away from the other disciples sometimes and process and talk about things. If Jesus took breaks, then it's okay for you to take a break. Jesus was okay with obscurity. He didn't go public until he was 30 years old. I feel like we got a generation of people that think they need to be famous, or have a million views, or go viral by the age of 12 to be a success. The danger is that I give so much power to the celebrity that I try to become them instead of me who God's created me to be. We're not supposed to fit in with the world around us. We got to change the way we think. It's a trap of comparison and jealousy. And Jesus was moved by his compassion and by his love, even by his anger. He healed and delivered and fed people. He clothed people. He helped them find their place in the world place of passion and meaning and he drew massive crowds he had tons of follower followers the word of his miracles and his fame it spread all over without the internet and he was so much of an influencer that some of the most powerful people of his day were threatened and intimidated by him his fame spread all across the land and we're still impacted by his life today. But Jesus was never focused on being known. He was someone worth knowing. See, if you take your focus off of being known and focus on becoming someone worth knowing, then your worth and your confidence and your value is not tied to other people. It's not tied to crowds. It's not tied to fame or a bank account. It is rooted in who you are and the truth of what God says about you and the truth of his word. And then all this stuff out here, it doesn't affect who you are doesn't affect how you minister and how you help other people and how you live your life and how you shine your light. Your life will go in the direction of your thoughts every time. So guard your heart. Guard your mind. Guard your relationships because it's important. You know, uh, 2 Corinthians 11 um, Paul's just processing. Paul's just saying all the bad things that have happened to him. And I've, I've been shipwrecked and I've been beaten 39 times. And I've, Paul's just, just processing all these things and, and getting it out to some trusted fellow believers. Relationships so important. Find somebody you can talk to and process things with it'll help you find healing in your brain talk about it write about it process it reject and replace and let God transform you from the inside out let's pray God thank you God thank you for speaking the truth over us God, thank you for changing us from the inside out. Help us to realize the truth. And God, shine a light on every lie. Whether it's something we believed about ourselves or something we believed about each other, or someone else in the room, or something that we've been told or we believe from somebody else. God, I, I just pray that you would shine a light on every lie and that you would help us replace it with the truth. God, we love you. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for growing us up 
God, my prayer is that I would never stop growing. You would keep teaching me and stretching me and growing me in the areas that I need to grow and, and help me to walk in freedom and help us as a body be all that we're called to be. We want to make an impact on the world. We know that to do that, we got to let you make an impact on the inside of us. So God, we give you permission to change the way we think. We're going to reset our brains, change our focus, and our commitment is that we'll be doers of your word. We won't just hear it, but we're going to find ways to work it into our life, to question our feelings, to question our thoughts, and replace them with good ones, replace them with truth. God, we love you. Thanks for all that you're doing. Thanks for working in our lives and for being a real God. In Jesus' name, amen.